Uh, listen, Rich Point Church, thank you for joining us for what is a really special Sunday. First of all, let me say this. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And also, let me be among the first to say Merry Christmas. We're now in the Christmas season. We're excited about that. Yes, uh, we're really excited about that. We have some people here decorating throughout the day. Yesterday, they did an incredible job. Uh, so we're really excited to kick off a series next week called A Thrill of Hope. I can't wait to share more about this. Hopefully, at the end of uh, our message time today, we'll be able to share some of that information. But before we do that, today we have something unique. It's been a while. If you've been around Rich Point Church for some length of time, we used to do this from time to time. It's been some time since we did this. But it's something called texture questions. And basically, it's as simple as this. We want to know uh, what you're kind of dealing with right now, questions that you might be facing, things you've always just kind of wondered about and said, you know, I, I never really had a chance to have this uh, answered in a public setting. And, and so I have a question. And, and let, me, uh, let me explain what this is all about. Uh, first of all, this is not Stump Your Pastor Sunday, because <laughs> some people have that idea, and they're trying to come out with like the, the, the richest theological question they have, and let me trip the, the pastors up. That's not the goal, although we could do that. There's probably a forum to be able to have that take place, but that's not the goal. But, but here's the thing. I believe that most of us are on a quest for truth in our life, and we have, as believers in Jesus, we have truth right here before us. But a lot of times it's hard to, to really discern in our life, how do I figure out truth uh, about how it relates specifically to my life and how do I take the general principles of Scripture and apply them specifically to those areas of my life where I want to have specific guidance and counsel. And, and so a lot of times the difficulty is not understanding where truth comes from because we know that. But it's applying truth into our lives. And so really that's what this texture question is all about as they shared earlier, the questions this morning are anonymous. Uh, they're, first of all, they're not coming to my phone, so don't think that if you get the number that's up there right now, you can text me throughout the day. That, that's not the way it works. We have someone who has a computer back in the back. Uh, they're getting the questions. The questions are going to appear up on the screen uh, for us and for you to kind of see what we're dealing with. So here's the thing. As we get into this, a couple of verses of Scripture I want to share, then we'll get into the questions. Uh, first of all, I think this is true for, for all of us. But the idea, because it is a little bit nerve-wracking to be up in front of a bunch of people. Normally when we come into a message, we have a lot of preparation time put in, and we know the subject matter we're talking about. Today it is as general as possible. And so we literally are sitting here saying, we don't know what the questions are going to be. Some people email us a couple of questions early on, so the first couple will be able to have some of that. But in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, it says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And this is always being prepared to make a defense. Anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, you do it with gentleness and respect. And so the truth is, is that as we develop our relationship with Jesus, as we start to discover more and more about him, we should become more and more comfortable in settings like this to be able to give a reason for the hope that is in us. That means that our faith, we believe our faith is a defensible faith. And so when people come at us with questions, it's not that we have the answer to every question, but we should be able to come up with some sort of reasonable response, or at the very least, to be able to say, I'm not sure, let me check on that and I'll get back to you, which very well could happen this morning, Chris. That, that could happen when I say, we're not sure about that one, we'll get back Espe to you on that. Especially if it comes to me. <laughs> uh, but, but one more verse that, that I want to share. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. It says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. 
And what it's talking about there is that if, if, if we think that we know everything, and we don't. If we think we know everything, we build ourselves up, we get haughty and proud. And so it says, if you think you know something, you don't know what you ought to know. And so when we're up here, we're not saying that we have every answer or that we know everything, because I guarantee you, we don't. And when people come to you with questions and they come and there are unbelievers out there that are skeptical, that have questions they're dealing with, and they come with those questions and and it's okay from time to time to say, you know what, that's a great question. I'm going to research that. Let me get back to you. Because even though I don't know everything, and I promise you that I don't, even though I don't know everyone, I know someone who does. Even though I don't know everything, I know someone that does. His name's Chris Neff, and he's joining me. <laughs> no, we realize that, that, that God knows it all. Uh, so we're sitting here trying to figure it out ourselves, and, and we love this forum. Even though it is a little nerve-wracking, we're not sure what the questions are going to be in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but we're going to kick one off with kind of a general question we got online. I'm going to let Chris tackle this first question. All right, so the first question, this is one that came in. It says, in the future, could you do a sermon or a series that could address offenses, resentments, and how to forgive? I promise not to be offended if you don't. Okay. Um, that's a good starting point because uh, in, in, you may not know this, and uh, I want it, it's a good opportunity to share this, but we actually keep a record of every all our sermons, all that stuff online. You see that we've, um, if you haven't figured this out, we are actually videotaping our series now. Um, that's a pretty recent thing, so we actually have a record video, and we also have an audio going back to uh, when J.J. became the pastor. So it basically goes back about three years. And if, if you want, you can go check these out. You can go to, if you go to our website and you go, there's a couple, if you look on the left-hand side, there's several links there. And there's a couple different places where you can listen to the audio. Um, there's a place where it says listen and watch. And if you click there, there's a, a section down at the bottom. If you click listen, all the audio is there. And you, now that one's kind of tricky because you get, you're going to see every single um, every single audio that we have on the website there. And so you can kind of scroll through there and look. It's divided up by the series, but it'll actually give you a little description of the sermon. So you can kind of have a little idea of what it is. But if you want to look at it more broadly, you can also, there's a section that says um, sermon series. If you click that, there's two links. One is our current series, or this is the way it's set up right now. There's our current series. So you'll see a description of the series that we're getting ready to do. And then there's previous series. And if you click there, there's actually a list. There's kind of set up as a list. And there's a list of all the, the series that we've done since JJ's been the pastor. as a description of the series. And you can kind of look through that. And there is not one that specifically answers this question, okay? Uh, I was thinking when I first saw the question, I thought, oh, I know that series that we did, but actually it was a little bit before JJ that we did that, and we can get get you the audio for that. But there are some where we've specifically addressed, there's some sermons where we specifically address this a little bit, but it's probably about time that we come back and hit that again, because that is a really good question. And it's a tough thing, because not only is it something where we're, you know, dealing with, um, uh, where we try to deal with how God forgives us, but then 
the probably the biggest issue is how we forgive others. And so um, that's a big deal. And, and according to this question, I think that's kind of where it is. And so um, I promise you, we'll, we'll come back at it. But there are some, if you go back and kind of look through some of those um, those series, there are times that we address that. I specifically think of there's a, a series that we did called Family Matters, where in there, one of the uh, weeks we address relationships and kind of what it looks like to forgive and all of that. But um, th- there's a wide range of stuff there. And um, I, I know we have a contact for this person, so I'll get with them. But if you have questions specifically about these things or you want to hear some of these things, um, email us and we'll, we can send you links specifically to some of those series. So, And I do want to take time to answer just briefly a little bit about that because when we talk about that, uh, that idea of anger and resentment, uh, I, I learned this a long time ago, and I've talked about this before, but I learned this a, a long time ago that for, for most of us, we've experienced some sort of anger and some sort of resentment. And, and the hard part is that a lot of times, what I've experienced is a lot of times those, those, those deep hurts happen inside the walls of a church. And, and what happens is it leaves us just... Maybe we even stay plugged in and stay involved, but it leaves us unable to really invest our heart fully into the ministry and what God's trying to do. And, and so, so here's what I discovered, because I, a long time ago I experienced something like that. And, and I went through this process in my life that took a couple of years, where someone that I, I loved that I knew re- really well hurt somebody that I cared about. And it wasn't even me, but I felt so much uh, anger and, and resentment at the situation. And I went through this process of, of, of being fully healed through all of that. And, and then I found myself in a similar environment later on in my life, and, and I think you can identify with this, that I felt like I'd, I'd forgiven fully, and, and I felt like, man, I, I actually moved on, and, and I, I felt like I, I genuinely forgave that person fully, and, and then later on, another situation happens, and those feelings were dredged back up, and when those feelings were dredged back up, I found myself in the same emotion that I had years before, and, and I started to battle this idea did I ever really fully forgive that person or was it just so far down in bed inside of me that I had never really, really dealt with it? And I came to a point of realization, I believe fully in my life that a couple of years prior I'd forgiven the person, but there's an enemy out there that tries to seek, kill, and destroy us. And he's going to do everything that he can to trip us up and to say, you remember how you used to feel? I'm going to bring those feelings back into your life. And that's why when Jesus talks about us dying daily, that even when it comes to bitterness and resentment, that it's a daily struggle. Even though I forgive in the past, that resentment can come back if I don't die daily to that topic of anger and resentment in my life. Uh, so I think that's a good idea, Chris. We should tackle that one, uh, maybe even in 2017 as we're working on some of that stuff in the next year. Let's move on a slide, though. And this was actually another one that came in via email. This was a lengthy, lengthy question, too much to fit on a slide. So we try to sum it up as best we can. We have some people back in the back. These are the only two questions we got through email. Everything else is going to be live this morning. Uh, but So the people that are back in the back kind of helping out with this, they might take your question, and for time and space constraint, they might restrict it a little bit, but try to summarize the question as best we can. And so we summarized a really long and broad question with a lot more detail to it with this simple question, what happens to our bodies and spirits after death? And the thing was, because I got this a couple of days ago, I could do some research and study on this because I knew what I believed, but I wanted some, some background to be able to give us context for it. And I found a lot of people uh, having in different journals and different uh, uh, commentaries and stuff that had different views on exactly what took place. And, and some said, well, our bodies die and our, our spirits kind of lie dormant, all these different things they had. 
But as I approach Scripture and comparing Scripture to Scripture, here's what I believe, and I believe there's a lot of scriptural support for this. That at the moment that, that we die, uh, that our bodies, and part of their question that they dealt with in the specifics was from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which I'll get to later, but that our, our bodies would, would stay there, but that our, our soul slash spirit would, would go to heaven. And where we get this, there's a couple of verses. Uh, first of all, in Luke chapter 23, uh, Jesus is on a cross, he's about to die. And one of the thieves that's on the cross with him uh, comes to, to repent and to give his life to Christ. And Jesus' words to that thief on the cross is, Today you'll be with me in paradise. And the word today is literally right now, as soon as we, as soon as we die, we're gonna, you're going to be with me in paradise. And now here's the thing, because I know a lot of, of uh, even a lot of my friends that come from a Catholic background, which is my background, and one of the discussions that we have often is, well, a lot of times they believe in the doctrine of purgatory and what does purgatory have to do with all of this because they believe there's a temporary holding place. But when we look at this verse that says the thief who done something bad in his life, he's dying for, what he had, for his crime. Jesus says, because of your faith in me, today you'll be with me in paradise. You're not going through some sort of a purgatory, your, your, your soul is not going to sleep for an extended period of time, but that literally today you'll be with me in paradise. Similarly, a couple of other verses over in Philippians chapter 1, Paul's expressing, my desire is to, to depart from this world and to be with Christ. He says, right now, I want to leave this world and I want to be with Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so looking at the summation of all those scripture, plus more, there's some stuff in Acts and some different places. I believe that what happens is at the moment that, that we die, uh, if, if we're believers, that is, at the moment that we die, having given our lives to Jesus, at that moment to be absent from the body is to be present with Jesus. Our, our soul slash spirit goes to be with Jesus at that point. But then the basis of their question comes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And it says this, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, about those who are dead, that you may not grieve as others do, the others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of the command with the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. This was kind of the gist of their question. Uh, those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will also be with the Lord always. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's what I believe. And as you get into end times and the resurrection of the dead and all these things, uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of gray area. There's a lot of different theological beliefs. But I believe that the resurrection of the dead, that our bodies go to meet our souls that are already in heaven with God. And so that's kind of the encouragement. He finishes this out by saying, and, and if you've ever been part of a, a funeral service or, or a celebration of life, often we'll use these words to, to finish that time to say, listen, even though we grieve, we do not grieve as those who have no hope uh, because we celebrate that there is a resurrection and therefore we encourage one another with those words. So that's kind of that. Chris, anything to add to that? Well, actually, the next question kind of goes right along with that, I think. So the okay. um, question is this. Uh, months ago, Chris said heaven is not eternity. So I see IR calling me out. <laughs> Can you tell me where to find the scripture at? Okay. Um, 
And JJ just kind of explain, JJ just explain, you know, kind of what happens when we die. You know, when, as, as things stand right now, when we die and we go to be with God, that's heaven. Okay. Now, what this particular question is referring to is uh, back in the summer, we did a series called The Creed, and we, uh, we addressed all kinds of different, you know, kind of basic beliefs of what we believe. And one of the things that we talked about is uh, we talked about heaven and hell and judgment and all of that. And that's where I made this particular statement that heaven is a, t- a temporary thing. Now, we're, we're going to be with God forever, okay? But I say it's temporary because of this. Actually, and I, I believe I read these verses then. If not, I know when we, if you go back, we did a, a series two summers ago called Pick Six, where we addressed some of the end time stuff. And I know I read those scriptures then, but uh, this is actually Revelation 21, starting in verse one. And it says this, and this is, by the way, this is after all the end time stuff, you know, um, and, and there's a lot of, there's all kinds of theories about how that's all going to play out. And that's really what that particular uh, sermon was about, was some of the different theories about that. But this particular, these scriptures kind of point to, no matter what the theory is, that at the end, God's going to destroy it all and he's going to build something new. And so it says this in Revelation 21, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. So the idea that after all the end time stuff happens, however all of that plays out, that at the end, God's going to create something new. He's going to fully redeem his creation. And he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And there's going to be a new place for us to live. And so as believers, that's going to be our eternal dwelling place. All right. Thank you, Chris. Next question. And I really want to spend some time on, on this one. How do you get past being hurt in a church setting and start trusting people again? Uh, first of all, let me, let me ask this question. I'm going to ask for my own of honesty. You get to ask us a bunch of questions, so I'm going to ask everybody else here a question. Uh, how many of y'all have ever been in, in a setting in a church where you've been hurt? I think most of us can identify. And, and, and here's the thing is, is that... Sometimes it happens because we're just, we're, we're people. I had a chance a couple of weeks ago to go and, and share. We were, we were in a setting where I was invited to speak at an orphan Sunday event at, at, a, at a rather large church. And I know the pastor and, the, and his family pretty well. And the week prior to that, uh, she's on, on, on Facebook, the pastor's wife is. And she's, she's, they're a little bit older. They've been in ministry for a long time. And she posted on Facebook this, this, this thing where she had this rant where someone had walked into church that Sunday morning with, with they, they had visitor in tow, they were really excited to be at church, and they sat down in, in their pews in, in a very, very traditional church. They sat down in their pews, and someone walked over to this person who brought a visitor along and said, excuse me, you're in our seats. I need you to get up. 
And, and she was livid. Like on Facebook, she had this long rant about why would we do that to a visitor and all that stuff. And, and, and the truth is, something like that, that's all it takes to turn off someone who's already skeptical about church. Uh, that's all it takes to turn off somebody. But a lot of times when we're dealing with a question like this, it's, it's a deeper embedded hurt. It's, man, I was, I was plugged in. I was involved. I was serving in some sort of capacity. And then something happened, and it left me with a, a jadedness towards, towards church. And if we're honest, it left me with a jadedness towards, uh, even towards people. And the thing is that when we, when we start to feel that way, and I think we've all, if we're being honest, we've all felt that way at some point. Uh, the only thing that we can do is, is to realize, first of all, the church is comprised of, of human beings just like you and I. And as much as I can get frustrated with somebody else because they falter in my life, the truth is, I have to be honest, and I falter in other people's lives, and I definitely falter in God's expectations of me. And that's why over in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is teaching. And, and he's asked this question. It says in verse, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter came up to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times or 70 times seven. And so we have this idea of perpetual forgiveness. And here's why this is so important. Because when I forgive and start trusting people, forgiveness is never about the other person. Forgiveness is all about making myself healthy and making myself whole. See, if, if, if someone offends me, if, if Chris came right now and he did something to offend me and I choose not to forgive him, it doesn't hurt Chris, it, it hurts me. And so for us to be complete, it takes us saying, I, I need to be willing to forgive the person who's given me the offense. Because if not, if Chris offends me and I choose not to forgive Chris, it doesn't just affect mine and his relationship, but it starts to affect every other relationship I have because I start to have a jadedness about people. So practically speaking, how do I get past a past hurt and start trusting people again? It's, it's, it's again that idea that daily I come to Jesus and say, first of all, I've made some huge mistakes in my life. I made some huge mistakes yesterday. And so Jesus, I come seeking your forgiveness of me. And the more in my life I have genuine repentance, the more I see God forgive me, the more it opens myself up to expose others to that same forgiveness. And I want God to forgive me. But if I want God to forgive me, I have to be willing to forgive others. And I think that part of the reason why we have so much battles, especially in our country with things like mental health and, and different things, is a lack of forgiveness in our life, either of, of stuff that we've done or stuff that other people have done to us. Uh, but it begins with us going to the Father ourselves. And I don't think we spend enough time doing that of just genuinely saying, man, God, I apologize. I, I repent of my past actions and, and I want to be fully restored myself. And the more I experience that level of forgiveness in my life, the more gratitude that I have and the more I'm going to have a positive, optimistic, upbeat view of, of other people. Uh, for instance... Uh, this morning, one question that will not appear on the screen, but on, on Facebook, and it'll remain anonymous, uh, who sent this one, but someone posted a question this morning asking, I got a first question, what happened to Gators last night? <laughs> and here's the thing, I could be resentful and, and, and upset about that. Uh, however, 
I, I choose to forgive and look past that. <laughs> Did someone ask you ask that question right there? Man, <laughs> they're, they're sinful and cruel. <laughs> but my answer to him was in the book of Matthew. It says that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So... <laughs> Um, but, but my point being, because I am an eternal optimist, I tend to look out for the better, like the, I, I tend to look at the best in people and also the best in situations. I've been telling people all morning long, I said, listen, and this is crazy, but I said, our talking about foot, not the football matters at all in this discussion, but I believe that we could lose to Florida state and with our defense, we could still beat Bama next week. <laughs> Because I'm the eternal optimist. However, if we have the same, everybody's laughing at me now. <laughs> but if we have the same view of people, genuinely. If, if I say, listen, I know that I've been hurt. But the person I'm dealing with right now isn't the person that hurt me. And I can't hold somebody else's fault against this person. It's going to change the way I view people in my life. I'm going to start to value every relationship that God put, puts in front of me. I'm going to start to cherish that and say, that's really, really important. And I'm not going to allow a past grudge to affect where I'm at now because I'm only hurting myself. I'm hurting the people that I'm living, doing life with right now. All right. All right. So you dug that hole for yourself. Didn't you? <laughs> Next week, I'll be hearing that one. Actually, I think the only reason he asked me to come up here and be with him today is because he was a little worried about how he might feel after all of this was all over because he knew I didn't care either way. So... <laughs> Plus, I think he purposely did one service so he could stay up late last night and watch That's all right. of that. Because right. <laughs> I went to bed. So, all right. Um, the, uh, and also, I was going to mention this, and then we'll, we'll get to the next question. But uh, um, you can kind of see if you see it already. I'm stalling. So, no, I'm I'm not. Um, <laughs> I'm ready. I want this one. I'm <laughs> actually. I'm I thought <laughs> I I thought it was interesting that you brought up the whole seat thing. You know that the ran about because I saw people today come in and because you guys are like it's one service. Like some of you came in and you're like, oh, somebody's sitting there. Like that must be where they sit in the other service. So <laughs> so you had to find another place to sit. But that's cool. All right, all right. So the question is, can women be pastors? All right. So. We can give a short answer. We can give a long answer. I'm going to give the long answer. Um, so, because that's what I do. First uh, Timothy 3. Um, let's start here because this is in First Timothy 3 and then also in Titus. It lays out the qualifications for, in, in actually in the, the, the translation that I'm going to read, it's called overseer. Um, some translations use the word elder. Um, Basically, it's it's the word that that we use as pastor today. Um, and so it lays out the qualifications. I'm going to read through them, but I, I don't think this like specifically addresses this. But you, you'll kind of see, I think, where we're going with this as, as we walk through it. So in First Timothy three, it says the saying is trustworthy. Um, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer or elder must be above reproach, uh, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit 
and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Okay, so those are the qualifications for an overseer, elder, or pastor, okay? Now, you, you probably would think, okay, well, he's going to point to husband of one wife and, and all of those things. And in that phrase, there, there's a lot of question about that phrase. Usually, that question has to do with, you know, can an elder be someone who's been married before? Um, or, you know, do they have to be married? Or do they have to have kids? You, you, you get into all of those, those types of things, okay? So I wouldn't say specifically that this particularly addresses the idea of whether it should be a man or a woman. Now, obviously, he uses the phrases of, you know, a man, his, 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 okay? But if you go on into the next passage, in the next passage, it says qualifications for deacons, all right? If you read those qualifications, they're very similar, okay? And you see some of the same phrasing, okay? But there are places in Scripture where we see women who are referred to as deacon, deaconesses or however you want to say that word, um, so we see women in those, those high, those roles in the church, okay? Now, there are also places where we see, you know, when uh, Jesus called the disciples, there were 12 of them, and they were men, okay? And then when they went to replace Judas, they replaced him with the man. When they went to, um, you know, when things started to blow up and, and they needed more help, they went and got other men to be involved. Now, that's not to say the church would be nowhere today without women, okay? Um, I, I personally believe women hold the church together, okay? I would actually point to you, and, and to, to ultimately answer the question, um, can women be pastors? In my opinion, and I think J.J. would stick with this, um, <laughs> as the pastor of the church, as the lead role of the church, my answer would be no. And the reason is, is, is really doesn't have anything to do with those qualifications. I mean, those qualifications are high, but I think it has to do more with our roles in marriage. Um, because in, in the passages that we've, and we've looked at these passages before, I'd, I'd encourage you to go look at them. Ephesians 5, okay? Read Ephesians 5, especially the latter part of that. And you look at the role of husband and wife, and you look at the role that the husband's, husband's supposed to play in that marriage as the, the, she submits to him, but he also loves her like Christ loves the church. That because of that, that's the reason why pastors should be men, okay? Now, we could get into discussions, well, what about a children's pastor? What about a youth pastor? What I think those are discussions for another day. I think it depends on the situation, to be honest. But in my opinion, as the lead person of the church, no. And I think that's odd. I think that we realize, and part of the, the challenge we face in our society today is we're trying to break down the walls to say that, uh, that everyone's the same, and, and, and often we're not the same. We're wired differently. And so just to realize how do we, how do we tap into the way that we're gifted, I think one of the things that unfortunately, because the church has taken such a, a strong stand on one side, is that we've missed the boat. I, I think we need more women in terms of leadership and, and leading out front in, in terms of helping out the church. 
And sometimes I think churches held that back because they're so afraid to get into some of these theological areas. Uh, I agree with Chris that there are different roles probably that we could fulfill, but how do we figure out how to tap in? And I think that's something that we do well, we could probably do better as a church, something that we want to see more of. Uh, I believe that, that God does wire us differently. As, as, as a husband, my, myself, my wife, we're wired very differently. We don't think alike. We don't have our, our likes, our dislikes are, are, are very different. And yet it takes both of us to, to work to make this thing happen. Uh, Andy Stanley, who's just this great communicator, uh, talks about leadership. And he says, leaders don't make decisions on their own, but they own decisions once they're made. And, and when it comes to our family relationships, when it comes to husband and wife, when I'm counseling couples in premarital, I bring up that quote. I say, listen, it's important. The Bible talks about in the book of Ephesians that the man is to be the head of the home. But that doesn't mean you rule with an iron fist and you put your thumb down. And that's not all what's in, in, in view there. In fact, right before that in Ephesians, it says we're to submit out to each other out of reverence for Christ. And so as, as, as a husband, I realize that I do have responsibility. But that doesn't make, mean I make the decisions all by myself. I own the decision once it's made, but I don't make the decision on my own. I think that's true when it comes to leadership in the church is that God has gifted us all very differently. Uh, and yet it takes all of us to make this work. And because of that, there's not one role that's more important than the other. Uh, so people say, well, he, if you can't be the pastor, that doesn't matter. There's a whole lot more that you can do uh, that, that probably is much more important than anything that even I do. Uh, so I think that's a good, good answer, Chris. That's a good, tough question. Let's go to the next he, one. He, he eased that up a little bit, so that's why he's up here. Too, so. <laughs> uh, what about this one? From your perspective as a pastor, what is the biggest downfall of Christ followers in 2016? That's, that's a tough one because you could go uh, to a lot of different areas. But if I could sum this up, because we're, we're quickly running out of time on this. If I could sum this up in, in one word, I would say we're distracted. Like, like as a culture, we're just really, really distracted. I think that, that as believers in 2016, we do some things really, really well. I think that we're probably doing service better than previous generations. I think that people are, are hungry, this generation's hungry to, to serve and to find areas to get plugged in. But what happens is we do, we do something really, really well for a little bit. And then we just kind of like, all right, that, that was it. And we don't realize there's, there's a bigger picture, there's a global picture. As I, as I look at the church in the New Testament, they were all about doing life together. And the kingdom of God was, was the most important thing in their life. Uh, they realized, man, I've been saved from, from, from really death to life. And now, even though I have other pursuits, this is my main pursuit. And, and today, there's, there's all kinds of, of things that, that take place. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. They're, they're good things. things, things that we should be in, involved in. But I can, I can point to specific instances where, man, there were families that were growing and, and involved and, and, and their marriages were doing better and things were going well. And then, and then something happens like their kid gets involved in, in sports. And, and I love sports. And I want my kids to be involved in sports. But then sometimes sports can become so where it's like, man, every weekend we're traveling to Georgia and South Carolina. And, and before you know it, you lose, okay, I got so distracted with these things that, that I lost what's the main focus of, of what I'm called to do as a follower of Jesus. Uh, it can be in terms of my own, my, my devotional life. Man, I, I want to be more plugged in. I want to be more involved. But then life happens and, and we're busy and it's getting the kids ready for school and it's, it's all this other stuff. It's so easy to be distracted. 
And the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. If we did that, everything else would work out. So I, I think for me, that's the number one thing. <clears throat> Chris, I don't know if you have anything to add to that one. <laughs> um, no, I would I would totally agree with that. I think that's a, a huge, you know, we uh, um, it, it's just a huge thing that we because our 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 society is so fast paced and we so quickly that I better stop talking to the mic. Um, <laughs> our our society is so fast and it's so fast and it paced and it moves so quickly that uh, we, it's so easy to just get swept up in that. And all of a sudden, you know, we're months and years down the road and, you know, we, we wonder where our lives have gone. And, and I think that's a huge thing. So, um, the next question, um, Jesus talked in parables that even his disciples didn't understand. We struggle with them today. How do we communicate their message to non-believers? Uh, I was actually, I, you know, because I was distracted and not um, answering quickly enough. Uh, I was looking for it. There's a specific place where Jesus talks about, he addresses this idea of parables because uh, the disciples ask him, and uh, maybe JJ can tell me where this is, but the, the disciples ask him specifically, you know, why do you, why do you use these stories? And, and Jesus, and, and it even goes on to say that, you know, some people aren't, aren't going to understand these stories. And, and, and he he goes on and to kind of explain one of them, um, one of the parables to them, and in, in it kind of it kind of even indicates in scripture that sometimes um, those who don't believe aren't, aren't supposed to understand them, and so um, which is which kind of plays in you know doesn't really answer this particular question because if if they're not supposed to understand them then you know what what's the point of, of using them and so um, I I think. I think there are some parables that that Jesus uses uh, that are pretty easy to to you know to explain and, and they make sense. Uh, you think about uh, the parable of the sower and where he talks about um, you know that he's he's sowing seeds and all the things that happen to the particular seeds. That's you know it kind of jumps out at you pretty quickly what he's talking about there. And plus he goes on to explain that particular one. But there are some where you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I've read them over and over and over again. And even as a believer, sometimes I struggle with, you know, what they mean. And so um, I think the answer to, to the question is, is this. I think if it's something that you understand and you feel like it's something that, you know, is easily understandable for someone else, then, then I think it's something that you can use for someone who's not a believer. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, there are things, you know, as believers, there are things, I was thinking about this as we were prepping because I was, you know, we're getting these questions quickly and, you know, I was trying to think ahead, what are people going to ask because I know the questions that I would ask. And so I was thinking about some of the things that that I, you know, I, I was always someone who struggled from the scientific perspective with what what I, you know, do I believe all of this stuff? Does, you know, what does that look like? Like dinosaurs and all that. Now, don't start texting dinosaur questions. <laughs> okay, I'm not encouraging that right now, okay? But, you know, where does that all fit in and creation and what does that look like? And, you know, and, you know, I really struggled with that stuff. And then when I became a believer, a lot of that stuff didn't really matter to me anymore. 
um, because I know God changed my life, and that's what I knew, and that's what I believed, and that's what I'm holding on to. All that other stuff at the end of the day doesn't matter. He changed my life. That's what matters. He forgave me. That's what matters. He's redeeming me. That's what matters. All that other stuff doesn't. And so I know that's kind of a convoluted answer to to this question, but I would say this. What you need to share with your friends may, may not be that parable. What you may need to share is that God's changed my life, and that's what matters. God's redeeming me, and that's what matters. My life used to look like this, and now it looks like this. That's what matters. So don't get, don't get bogged down in, I mean, it, 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 like JJ shared, we should always be working toward being able to give that defense. But if you become a believer today and you walk out of here and somebody asks you why, you don't have that defense. All you know is that God changed your life. And so start with that. And so that, that would be my answer to that question is start with the idea that God changed my life and he's redeeming me. And so that's what I can explain. That's what I know. And so start with that. And then some of the other stuff, it'll come, you know, and, and down the line, maybe there are parables that you use with friends and stuff like that. But I say start with that. And, and Chris asked, and Rex, right after the parable that he shared about, about, you know, when does Jesus talk about even using parables? But it's right after the parable he shared, the parable of the sower, that he says this, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. He's been using these parables, which is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And sometimes Jesus did this because some of those things had not yet been revealed. Uh, Jesus speaks in these parables, and everyone's like, I don't understand it. They didn't understand it because those things hadn't come to pass, many of which now have come to pass. And he starts to speak in this section in John chapter 16 a little bit more boldly, a little bit more clearly. And it says in verse 29, his disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Jesus would often use parables because parables help us understand things. Uh, normally when I begin a message, I normally begin with some sort of story because we relate to stories. So Jesus would often use these, these stories, and sometimes people understood them, and sometimes it's so figurative, they're like, I don't fully grasp that. Uh, but at the end, Jesus was trying to reveal stuff to them that they wouldn't have understood until they lived through it anyway. Uh, so sometimes break down some of those parables can be a challenge. And I agree with Chris, maybe sometimes we're not supposed to do those things. Uh, but Jesus spoke in, in such a way to help people relate sometimes even after the fact. Uh, we got time for, for one more question. Here's what we're going to do. I know we probably have a, a whole lot more questions that are back in the back. And so we're going to post some of the answers to those questions online uh, throughout the week. But there's one more question that, that we're going to get to. And that final question is this one. How do you know if you are taking a passage in the Bible uh, out of context? Now, were they addressing something that we did today? Probably, oh, probably. Okay. <laughs> um, l- let me explain a couple of things about this. Uh, first of all, when, when we approach Scripture, uh, the first, when we're trying to understand Scripture, the, the, if the plain sense makes sense, make no other sense about it. What it means is sometimes Jesus speaks in, in parables, sometimes he uses hyperbole. Uh, when Jesus says, I am the door, we don't think physically Jesus was ever a, a door you could knock on. We know that that's hyperbole. It's not meant to be literal. 
But when Jesus speaks, if it's literal, it's meant to be taken literally. If it can be taken literally, our idea should be to take it literally. Some people back away from Scripture and water down Scripture by trying to say, well, maybe that was just culturally in the cultural context. And we have to take some of that into account. But if the plain sense makes sense, make no other sense. On top of that, if we're afraid of taking the Bible out of context, then we want to be careful to, to know the Bible. Because I can, I can pick up the Bible and I can point at one verse and get it to say whatever I want it to say. But inside of the context, if, if I'm in the habit of pulling out one verse and saying, okay, I'm going to base my life on this one verse, not within the context of the greater teaching of Scripture, then I'm in danger. There's a story, I think we've even used this one before, but there's a story that uh, a guy was looking for some sort of answer from God on a specific uh, here's what I'm dealing with in life, and, and God, I'm looking for some answer as to what I should do. And so what he did was he just opened up his Bible, and he pointed to a verse, and it said, and, Jesus, and Judas hung himself. And he's like, that, that's not good. So he closes his Bible, and he flips back open, he points to another verse, and it says, go and do thou likewise. And he's like, that's not good. He closes his Bible, opens back up, points his finger again, and it says, what thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> and that's not how we're to read scripture scripture is its own best interpreter and so the more that i know scripture the more i can hear things so i can say wait a minute maybe that one verse taken out of context you could get it to say that but if scripture is its own best interpreter the more i know scripture i can look at this verse and say well that person and sometimes there are people that you'll hear teaching and say wait a minute they use this verse to, to say that, but it wasn't exactly written for that audience, or, and that's not exactly right. And so the more we become enriched in knowing the Bible, the better we, chance we have of not taking the Bible out of context, to make sure that we know it, to make sure that we're growing, asking questions like this. Listen, I love questions like this. I love having conversations. So if you ever have any questions about anything in the Bible, Again, I can't promise we're going to get every answer right. We're fallible as well. And so approach Scripture, seek out God, and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you uh, and study Scripture as best you can. I think a good way to end, too, is this, and um, because you, you probably, you know, you, you may be saying to yourself, well, I don't know Scripture like that, and I, I, I don't really know where to start. Um, I'd encourage this. Uh, we actually, uh, you probably noticed that J.J. and I's Bibles look pretty similar. Um, we actually, both of us use, um, the translation that we use is called the English Standard Version. That's the one that J.J. and I use most often. Um, it's a relatively new translation compared to a lot of the others. Uh, and it's, they're, you know, working, they've uh, been working to kind of, you know, stay on top of that and so forth. But there's actually an ESV study Bible, and that's what we both have. Uh, I think that's a great place to start. Uh, it's, uh, you probably, when we were looking at these things, not only are we looking at the scripture, but there's a lot of stuff there as well that points you to other scripture that talk about these things so that you, you don't fall into that trap of, oh, I read one verse and I don't have any other context to put it in. This helps give you some of that context. Uh, and it's a, it's a great resource. I'd encourage you. They have, um, the Bible itself, but then they also have an online version uh, that's phenomenal, uh, that uh, just is so helpful. And um, but I think that's a great place to start, and you know, be a good Christmas present if you 
are looking for something to ask for Christmas. There you go. It's a really good study Bible. Let me say this in closing, and we'll get to some of the other questions on the line. Let me say this in closing. We did this as kind of a fun wrap-up of Thanksgiving. Next week, we kick off a series called A Thrill of Hope. And, And we've been talking about this a lot throughout the year, but we have some specific challenges that we want to accomplish, and we still have some time to accomplish that this year. Uh, but in particular, as we talk about having a defense of the faith, of the, uh, the reason, the hope that we have, and the faith that we have, there are people all around us that are searching for that level of, of hope. And it seems like the Christmas season, more than any other season throughout the year, is the one season of the year where we actually, people are open to that, saying that uh, maybe there is something more to life than, than just going through the grind and, and being distracted all the time. And, and, and one of the things, I've kind of put this out to our, our leadership team, and one of the things that I've seen is that uh, when, when a church really starts to get moving, when it really starts to get healthy, uh, what happens is often the, the amount of people they reach on their highest Sunday on a particular year can become their average the following year. And so if, if we do our part throughout the month of December of talking to people, on, on loving people, inviting them to church, it puts in, in, into momentum that, that idea that we can start to reach people with the good news of who Jesus is, see their lives transformed, see that happen right before, that, before our eyes. And then through that, God adds to the church. When we read the book of Acts and see how God was adding to the church on a daily basis, it was such a powerful thing. And our prayer is that we as a church not be distracted, but that as we wrap up this year, that we do our very best to be able to gain that momentum going into 2017. And so invite some people out starting next Sunday. We're back to two services, 9 o'clock and 10.45. Uh, so invite your friends out. Uh, people will be back from Thanksgiving vacation, all that stuff, and be ready to kick off a thrill of hope. Again, we'll post the other questions uh, online, answers to those questions. So if you ask some questions and, and, you, and we didn't get your question, don't be bitter and resentful because of that. Uh, but instead, look for those online throughout this week. Uh, let's pray and we'll close out with, I think we have one final song. Father, I just thank you for the privilege that we have of being able to approach your word and, and to be true teachers and, and ambassadors of yours. God, I pray that uh, through this journey this morning, which has been very different, God, that it's been about us seeking your truth and seeking out your purpose for our life. Uh, God, I pray for those that have had answers, questions answered. I pray that we've done an adequate job. Uh, if not, I pray that there's follow through. And maybe for those questions that still linger, God, I pray that in the coming days you'd give us a chance uh, to respond and and to answer those questions in a public setting, uh, that we can start to have more of a confidence and a boldness about our faith. God, empower us for that battle and for that journey. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. It don't have a job It don't pay bills Won't buy you a home In Beverly Hills Won't fix your life Ain't the law of the land the government? 
JJ and Chris, another hand for just come up here and man, usually JJ takes like a week or two to get ready and they did that in minutes. So that was awesome. And they didn't make me do it. So I'll give him a hand for that as well. Um, with that said, though, one of the questions I was back there, actually back there helping kind of fun of the questions was about youth ministry. Here's what goes on. I just, I'm the youth pastor. I'm Josh. Um, if you have any questions about the youth ministry, please just come see me. Uh, I would love to share with you and tell you what's going on with the youth ministry. But also just want to reiterate what, what JJ said. Next week, we're, we're starting off our Thrill of Hope series. It's going to be awesome. You want to bring a friend to it. Back to our normal services, 9 and 1045. Be here for that. Along with that, something else we have going on next week, December 6th. Um, a lot of y'all know Kevin and Mary Huckins. Uh, if y'all don't, Kevin is the one that greeted you in the back when you walked in. Uh, they're, getting, they're, getting, they're kind of re-upping their vows December 6th here, and they just want to invite the whole church family out to it. Um, so December 6th here, that's a Tuesday, 7 o'clock. Um, it's casual. Just be here. They would love to, for you to come celebrate with them. Okay, on December 9th, this is also something to put on your calendar. At 6.30, the kids' ministry is going to be putting on a movie night. 
Now, last year is this kind of strictly for the kids, but this year we're opening up to everyone. So what we're asking is everyone come here, put on your PJs. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I have to go out and buy some. I don't have any really <laughs> good ones, but go out and get some PJs and, you know, come here. Uh, let's have a nice uh, family atmosphere. We're going to watch uh, Grinch Who Stole Christmas, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies. So come here, enjoy it. 6.30 on the 9th. It's a Friday night and let your heart grow three times larger that night. In, in a regular way, though, like not a unhealthy, you know, sorry, that was that joke. <laughs> um, with that, guy, though, guys, don't forget, our we have an awesome holiday schedule. You might have seen it all around the church on the tables with that awesome uh, poster in the back. But um, December 18th, just want to kind of get the big days out there. December 18th, we're going to kind of, um, everything kind of comes to, to a, a big, awesome front. On that day, we're going to have a rocking Christmas service, um, and it's going to be, uh, not, it won't be in the morning, it's Sunday, December 18th, it won't be in the morning, but at 4.30 and 7, we're going to be here for a rock Christmas service, and also we'll have our candlelight service December 23rd, and also don't forget, Christmas Day this year is on Sunday, so we will not meet, have fun with the family, um, have what cookies Santa didn't eat or whatever, and enjoy your time. <laughs> Last thing, any uh, first-time guests, please go back to the guest service. Uh, give them your card and get a free gift. And we want to thank you guys and have a great day. You're dismissed.